Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm Adam Russell. I'm Ryan Key. Hey, I'm Nick Gambarian. Do I sound different? I have all new gear. You sound great. Amazing. You look great. You sound great. It's all new. Everything's new. I love you. Even me. New new year, new me. Oh, so many new things. So uh, Ryan and I are on tour together, but we're in different places. We're both in Pennsylvania. You're off today. No show. Correct. Industry secret. Mondays are great days to have off on tour. You know what's weird is the Fridays we have off on this tour. That's we have, weird. We have Friday nights off two in a row, I That's think. That's great, yeah. Actually. That's not an industry secret. No. Lots of days off. <laughs> um, I was going to try to do this without this stupid gaming mic in front of me, but I can't hear this little Razer microphone I have. doesn't have a way to monitor. Mm. Do you guys hear yourself when you're talking? Like You like to hear yourself when you're yeah. podcasting, yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. I, like people who game, that I game with that don't monitor their mic, I'm like, you're... Not musicians. <laughs> right. Or, or like just serial killer. I mean, what, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Some people just don't like their voice. I have to look like an air traffic controller right now. So negative ghost rider, the pattern is full. Land some planes while we're talking. It's fine. I feel safe with you behind the stick. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I'm skilled. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to land it safely. I'm skilled. So, uh, yeah, Ryan and I are both in Pennsylvania. I'm in the Poconos with uh, a friend of ours. This, well, this is where you rehearsed. You've been here. He's right behind you. Yeah. Where that little tray thingy is. Yep. That's where my entire gaming rig was set up just a week and a half ago. Look at that. Wild. Did you borrow that cute lamp that looks like fake, uh, like a fake walking stick? N- no, but I'm really impressed with your vibe. I do my best. I have to say. My wife was not stoked about the amount of time I put into setting this up today. <laughs> I mean, I'm just sitting in this just hotel-ass hotel room. I mean, this is <laughs> nothing, no frills. You got some art on the wall back there. Yep, this is like just straight up uh, breakfast to serve from 6 to 10 business conference <laughs> for the Pennsylvania bullshit insurance firm <laughs> of America, of, of the United Federation of Planets. Capitalist federations. Yes, that's where I am. Speaking of the Poconos, did you, I mean, we're all from different places. Growing up, did you get a lot of like advertisements and commercials and like radio advertisements at, for the Poconos as a vacation destination. I, I literally never heard of the Poconos until last month. It was just, I feel like they made, it was like targeted ads in the 80s and, and probably early 90s for Long Islanders to go on a vacation to the Poconos. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense though. It's close-ish. Yeah. And it's beautiful up here, like is crazy. Okay. So a friend it of mine- It is, it is, but, but spend a few days right there where you are. Right there in that spot at that amphitheater and have to deal with like getting food yeah, and tra- whatever, you know, traveling to and from your your place so that you're staying. It's a little bit the hills have eyes. It's a <laughs> little we, we were driving the first night we were driving back from rehearsal to the Airbnb and it was it was late. It was, you know, 1230, one in the morning and we're going down. It's foggy. We're coming down the mountain road. And I swear to God, there were three people far enough apart for it to be weird, but close enough to where they were obviously together walking on the side of the road in the fog at one o'clock in the morning with like their hoods up and their heads down. (laughs) It was straight up children of the corn shit. Like, so yes, it's pretty, but it's also a little messy. Yeah. It's a little outer rim. (laughs) You know? <laughs> it is. It is. It, it is. Uh, death stick consumption is high. <laughs> Dude, uh, so Masaccio87 
in our Discord here said he only knows of the Poconos from Seinfeld and Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Is is this where Dirty Dancing actually took place? Was in this area? I, oh. No, I think it's the Catskills. I do. I think. Okay. Look it up. But I think Dirty Dancing was in the Catskills. But it is completely this vibe. Like you walked around the property, exactly right? Exactly the same vibe. Yes. When so our tour manager was the uh, operations manager for that amphitheater for a couple of years. Um, and so when he got, he he's been a friend of mine for you know twenty plus years. So when he told me he got the job, that's exactly how he described it. He was like, "Think Dirty Dancing. There's a lake <laughs> and all these little con like uh, all these little cabins, and uh, you know they're going to renovate the whole thing." Um, and, and turn it into that. But I'm pretty sure Dirty Dancing was in New York. Yeah, but it is like that old, you know, this this was built, I mean, it goes oh, back yeah. a couple hundred years, Th but like the big buildings. booming in the 50s. Yeah, booming. it's super mid-century looking, like all the cabins, like you can imagine, like, you know, the, the locals who, who teach um, the moms how to dance or doing shady stuff, you know, bringing people back to the cabins. <laughs> we walked through one of the old buildings and found like old brochures and stuff. It, oh, that's it, cool. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's a time capsule, but it's also apocalyptic looking because it hasn't been touched in decades. Uh, yeah, like half the buildings don't have roofs and like yeah. Apparently Hurricane Sandy screwed it up pretty badly too. It's it looks like it looks like a level from The Last of Us in some of these buildings. <laughs> oh, we should also mention, talk about being on tour. We were just in New York the other day. Uh we played this amazing show at Pier 17, which is a rooftop venue that is literally on a pier, so you look back off the back of the stage and it's the Hudson river. You can see the statue of Liberty from the stage. It's so sick. Nick, I assume you've been there. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll remind you of my story about being on tour with uh, thrice last June and thrice got COVID and our show at pier 17 got canceled. So mm. I never got to play pier 17. Dude. And if you ask me how enraged I still am, <laughs> if it was a hundred percent enraged last June, I'm probably at like a 97% rage still like uh, if anything, it went back up after seeing all your photos and videos and stuff. And I'm like, yep, could have played there. Could have played there. Dude, it was. Yeah, looked amazing. It was really something. Yeah. yeah. Special, special vibe. What was even better than the show, probably, I'm just going to say it. I'm sorry for fans of our bands. But what was better than the show for me was the day before, on the day off, um, our good friend Justin Sonfield, who is the uh, Legion commanding officer, right? That's his title. For... Um, the 501st, he took us out on his boat. He and his wife have a sailboat. It's a legit sailboat. Well, he, he has a very neat job. He does pretty well. <laughs> he does pretty well. <laughs> Do you know what he told me, though? He has a sailboat-style job. Yeah. He, uh, he said that boat, though, the cost of that boat, the financing, and the cost of the dock space is cheaper than buying an apartment in Manhattan. Oh, I bet. Oh, I, yeah. I believe it. And I'm, I'm right just saying that on the I'm just saying I'm really proud of him because in his other title, in his in his non fantasy title, mm -hmm. the letters CEO yeah. are included. They're yeah. included. So hey, I'm I'm CFO of Legal Speed Coffee. Hey, hey brother. Just so you know, nice. <laughs> you are an entrepreneur, and I'm proud of you too. So Justin, via I want to say it was the other Justin, the photographer. I forgot what his Instagram handle is, but um, he he was there in town for. A con. I don't know which kind it was, but Emily Swallow was in town. Chris Bartlett was in town. A whole bunch of Star Wars folks were in town, and he knows Emily Swallow pretty well. And basically, however it happened, it was like, "Hey, Justin, can all these Star Wars people come hang out on your boat? They want to come to your boat." So that's what they did. And I ended up hanging out, my wife and I, with um, Sarah and Stephen Masiel were there as well. Emily Swallow, Chris Bartlett, who 
who plays um, a bunch of droids in, in the Star Wars series. Marty uh, Matulius, Matulus, I feel like is his name. He played the pirate in The Mandalorian Season 3. Not Gorian Shard, but the one with the... He's uh, a Nikto, right? Vane? Vane. There you Vane. go. Yeah. And Lauren, Lauren Mary Kim, who is a stunt performer who did the, the motion capture for Ahsoka and the the season seven Clone Wars season seven finale, the, the duel with Maul. She did the motion capture for that. She does oh, yeah. stunts on tons of Marvel movies. It was crazy. It was surreal <laughs> that uh, I got to hang out there. Oh, I'm Adam and I went sailing with the armorer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to trade income? <laughs> Let's talk about that. I was jealous. I was jealous of the hang. I was jealous. And then I don't know if you're going to get to this, but then the next day at the show, the whole entire Roosevelt's crew came out and hung with you guys. Yeah. yeah. And like, I was having a good weekend. Like I I'm was sorry. crushing it. I'm and sorry, then I dude. saw you guys and I'm like, they're crushing it too. We're crushing. I was with Dano on Saturday night in Vegas. Like I was like, Hey, we're all having a good time. Like I can't really, I'm not complaining, but I'm like, it's it's more FOMO, you know. Like I yeah. I suffer from FOMO. I do a lot of stuff in my life because I'm like, if I don't do that, I'm gonna regret it. So it's more like oh, I wish I was there, but I also wish I was here. We need a cloning. We need real cloning to be a thing. <laughs> yeah, we need a hundred thousand units with uh, two million more on the way or whatever. <laughs> um, but dude, so I didn't talk to everyone, and I was trying so hard to play it cool. And even though Justin was like just fully doing like, well, this guy's a rock star, that kind of thing, like the full dad mode. I was like, yeah, I love him. I was like, all right, uh, that's very generous. Thank you. But like I'm sitting there talking to Emily Swallow, the armorer herself, and a friend, uh, I feel like it was one of an old friend of hers, husband, and he writes musicals. And I'm talking to her and this dude. And I just had to be like, so you write musicals? And like, just completely shift the conversation away from her, not to be like, so Star Wars, you know? <laughs> um, and she like, just got up and walked away. Uh, like, okay, I guess I'm not in this conversation anymore. But then we en- ended up talking quite a bit and uh, talked about theater, talked about her career, given the fact that she has this big role, but she's behind a mask and mm-hmm. how all, all of the, like the kind of like the ups and downs of Hollywood and what helps your career and doesn't it's it was really interesting it was a good talk i got i asked for no spoilers i got none <laughs> just hung out on a boat it was great gotta play cool you know yeah can't go in full interview mode when everybody's <laughs> just trying to you know have tacos on the river <laughs> hey everyone we want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast roosevelt's You may know Roosevelt's as the company who makes those rad, all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts, they do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. Hey! 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So um, let's talk about Star Wars specifically because we're already, what are we, 15 minutes into this thing? We haven't talked about Star Wars for real yet. Nice background, dog. <laughs> that doesn't work very well. <laughs> you're shaped really weird. Are you in the volume right now? Why does it do that? If you're on YouTube, you're getting a real treat right now. <laughs> I don't have a green screen, so that's what you get. Subscribe to us on YouTube and you can uh, see this great stuff. <laughs> so uh, we talked a little bit last week about the Mandalorian, or sorry, the Disney Gallery Mandalorian Season 3 behind the scenes special. But we didn't talk so much about the special itself. We really just talked to, to Kate Sabaker about her work on the miniatures with uh, Phil Tippett that they used in the show. So there's quite a bit left to talk about. And we wanted to kind of just like highlight a few things because it, it was a, a, a slightly different than the prior type Disney gallery it where was. It, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a deep yeah. dive into tech mm-hmm. stuff. It was more about story and character, which I thought was awesome. It was a story driven behind the scenes, yeah. Yeah. which I think was deliberate. I think so too. Do you, do you, if I'm going to like paint it a, a picture right now, do you think that it was almost like, here's what we were trying to accomplish this year? This season, because I feel like there was like a little bit of people complaining or whatever, you know, like I for sure got that vibe. Feel like they were like, here's how to watch, here's what we were trying to do, you know? Right. I mean, they said things like that throughout it. They said yeah. things like, you know, we didn't set out to do this, but we ended mm-hmm. up doing that, you know? Uh, yeah. I think one of my favorite lines from the whole thing was when Favreau said, um, you know, storytelling is never what you set out to do. It's what you discover along the way. Something yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. You know, because he was talking about how they didn't originally plan on developing, you know, all these characters in this in this way. And and I, I think I think I, there's probably something to that, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. There there is a rumor, and I, I'm I would be surprised if this rumor wasn't true because it seems obvious that they originally intended for Grogu to go off and to just keep following Din's story and then pick up Bo-Katan's story and, and do what they did, but minus Grogu. Mm-hmm. But Right, because that's what, that's what he was talking about, right, Adam? He was talking about how Grogu has all this compassion right, he was and personality and wants to say, you know, and wants to like save and protect and all those things. And he said, I don't think that's what we originally set out to do at all with the, char- with the character of Grogu. But here we are. And, he, and then he said that great line about storytelling is never what you set yeah. out to mm-hmm. do. I thought it was really funny, too, to see him. Dave was like, John wants to do a Baby Yoda. And I was like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's great. That was and he great. just trusted it and, you know, kind of, I guess it's the a really good, healthy, creative environment to be like, I hate this idea, but let's explore it. You know, and that's, yeah. I mean, something that I guess maybe sometimes we don't have as musicians is just like time and money necessarily to do that. But when you're Lucasfilm and you're John and Dave, it's like, who knows? They could sit in a, in a room around a table for a week and be like, what would we do with a Baby Yoda if it was in this show? And they just come up with, you know, good stuff. But um, yeah. I like the pressure of we did it and we knew we couldn't mess it up because it was George's Yoda is George's favorite character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the interesting part to me is 
it's interesting to me. I don't know if it's interesting to everyone else, but trying to like read between the lines and think about, you know, what the powers that be want to take advantage of because they feel like, okay, we've got this runaway hit of this, this baby Yoda character. We can't not have this character in every single season. So that's, you know, that's like a corporate perspective, but there's also the storytelling perspective, which I fully believed was genuine. The line that you said, Ryan, I, every, everything I know about screenwriting, everything that I've learned from studying it for years now and listening to screenwriters talk on podcasts and interviews and everything is exactly what he said. Setting out to write a, a plot and write a story for someone is a way to go about it, but a lot of, a lot of shit gets lost in that. You know, if you don't let yourself discover things from who the characters kind of grow to be, you're doing a disservice to the story. And it's, it is a more like mature way to be a storyteller, to like let the characters live, let them grow organically for lack of a less overused term. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I fully believed him. And yeah, of course, like they're going to sell more merch with Grogu, but also people love that character for a reason. And I wanted to see more stories with him. Would it have been cool to see it completely diverge? Yes, but it, I, I would have felt kind of a hole emotionally in the story without him. Without I wonder him. if they're scrambling in any way, you know, now that that decision was made. Mm -hmm. In that if the longer you keep him around, the more canon-based you know, canon questions are going to arise of like, where does he fit? Where did he go? When does he start talking? Where does you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> what does he become? What, 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 you know, does he end up in the, in, in, uh, one of these films later, mm -hmm. at, you know, at the Jedi Academy, at a, at a whatever? It, it's like the longer you fly by the seat of your pants with a character like Grogu, you're, you're definitely digging a hole for yourself that you're going to have to get out of. You right. know what I'm saying? And so based on the information you can collect from this particular gallery episode where they're basically letting letting fly that it wasn't the plan all along to have Grogu be what mm -hmm. Grogu is. It's like, okay, well, that's cool. And I'm, I'm really pumped because I agree. I, I feel like the show would have been uh, completely lacking if they just like, okay, Luke, that moment happened. We all, you know, our minds were blown. We were all weeping like children. And then, he, you know, he rides off in the sunset with Luke and, for a minute, that feels really cool, but then what's the Mandalorian for us now? You know, mm -hmm. like it would. Right. I I feel, I feel like it would have had a hole there. But the flip side of that coin, you know, the other edge of that sword is like now they're they're in the trenches as far as like okay, well, we have to figure out where Grogu's story goes and how it plays into this post Empire pre sequel possibly sequel era. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, I think there was another line too where they were talking about. Um you know, the main characters being in masks, basically, and using mm -hmm. almost this, like, he used some word, buy something. I had never heard that word before. Bifurcating. But having, basically, yeah, yeah. Split in two, yeah. Grogu and Mando being the main character and using Grogu as, like, the emotional mm -hmm. kind of anchor there because Mando's behind a mask. Um, yeah. And just overall them talking about the challenge of having your main characters wear a mask, but also having quite possibly the greatest uh, example of it working with like Darth Vader and yeah. and droids and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, so, have, cool. have you felt like you've struggled for one second from the first frame of The Mandalorian with the fact that they're in masks? No. no I great. mean, maybe it's easier for us being the, the, you know, the fans that we are, mm -hmm. the type of fans that we are than your average viewer. But I think you say maybe, and then your question, you know, that's 
quickly thrown out because of this show is an absolute hit with yeah. super fans and and fair weather fans alike. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's something about my, my opinion is it's something about the mask because mm-hmm. mask work is something you learn from a young age. And when you study theater, it's, it's a big part of your education. Becoming an actor is mask work. That's stuff that you do. Because you want to, you want to learn at that at, in your formative years of becoming an actor. You want to learn how to let your body express your emotions, and it doesn't have. You don't want to overexpress, you know, with with your face because you're phoning it in. You can, you know, that we run that risk of just phoning in the emotion. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the Mandalorian helmet and visor that that does it does the work. Mm-hmm. It's like it's so iconic and and it's, I don't know, but you have to think of fair weather fans that don't, you could go, you know, Boba Fett and they'd be like, right. who, <laughs> you know, it's, so it's not just because of the nostalgia of it. It's like, it, it pulls you in that the way that it's designed and the way yeah. that it feels on their head, it, it, it just, I don't know. It's, it works. There are two things about that. Now that you say that, that come to mind, I, I wonder if it's just the shape of that T visor mm-hmm. that the little head tilts, yeah, it, it you know it acts as the eyes and just that angle that off angle says a lot. And then Bo-Katan's helmet specifically, which <laughs> Filoni talked about, he drew on a napkin on a on a Southwest flight. That's how he designed yeah. that whole like yeah. the shape of the eyes. When the, he still had to fly Southwest, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm like okay, so we're time. talking like early what oh eight oh nine. Yeah, right. So I'm like, yeah. damn, you had to like you know, Filoni had to fight for a seat on Southwest. Yeah. He's like, I'm, uh, I'm not even in group A. I got to wait for group B. <laughs> so like, there's just something, uh, uh, you know, about the shape and the, and the way the, just the geometry of it mm-hmm. is inherently, I think, more expressive than maybe a stormtrooper. Mm-hmm. And then the, 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 the night owl look with, with Bo-Katan, it's even more expressive because it, he said he designed it to look like the beak and eyes of an owl. And you can, it's so obvious, but until you think, I mean, and they're called the night owls, but until you, he says that and you look at it and you go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like the Amazon logo with the A to Z thing, like yeah, yeah. until it's pointed out to you, it's like, oh my God, but it, it really does work. You're yeah. like, you're saying it. I mean, they fully understand what they're doing too. And you know, somebody like, um, Emily Swallow, who I talked to about theater quite a bit, uh, just to remind her, I was hanging out with Emily Swallow talking about stuff. <laughs> She's a she's a singer. She's like a, a legit classically trained theater actor. She went to high school with your. We were trying to sort this out. What what was the deal again? So she Patty? did she did not go to the arts high school in Jacksonville. Um, I believe she went to the middle school. So there there's two there's a middle school magnet program and a high school magnet program for the arts in Jacksonville. Uh, and then there is a like higher education magnet program at a school. Also, like um, if you're trying to get into Harvard or Princeton or whatever, it's a it's a kind of feeder for that because it's, it's mm-hmm. a public school. But I'm I'm almost positive she went there. She went to Stanton is what that school is called. That sounds right. But Patrick and Patrick Husinger, our friend of the pod, uh, they went to middle school together. I'm, Got I'm it. Almost, okay. No, no, I'm sorry. Patrick went to Stanton for a year before he transferred to Douglas Anderson. I know the listeners are compelled by my high school <laughs> friends' stories. He transferred to the art school where I where I went. Got it. Uh, but I believe Emily stayed at Stanton, the other high school. I'm pretty sure that's what she said the other night. And they had a theater program at Stanton too, and it was great, but it wasn't, you know, we, they, they had to take a lot, a lot of other classes. Like I think I mentioned on the pod before, by my senior year, I was like kind of teaching a freshman class. I was like TAing a freshman class of theater. 
And then the only academic class I had out of all seven periods was English, was AP English. Every other class I took was theater my senior year. So nice. It was sweet. So there it is from middle school. She, she was studying. So she gets it. I also love that. Um, I guess she, she mentioned that John Favreau had referenced Kurosawa films Mm -hmm. for kind of the vibe, like the, the Zen, like just calm, straightforward demeanor of her character and the last samurai as well, which is one of my favorites mm-hmm. like of, of any more modern, like martial arts yeah. relevant or adjacent movie. I love it. So uh, that was, that's, you mean, you mean the last time that, that Mr. Cruz would have gotten his Oscar and then he just threw his hands up and said, "Never mind, I'm just going to do mission impossible movies and drive <laughs> off of cliffs on motorcycles from now on. Yeah. Forget it. That was it. That was the last yeah. hurrah, the last samurai. I think that was the last like major hundreds of millions of dollar picture where he like, I think he thought, you know, this is the one. And then they were like, no, still no. No, you'll just be the biggest actor in the world who can't win an Oscar. Who can't get an Oscar. (laughs) Just do that instead. Great film though. Great film. Hey everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt's. You may know Roosevelt as the company who makes those rad all over print button downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but T-shirts. They do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. Let's talk about cameos really quickly because Bryce Tallis Howard mentioned coming to John Favreau about, you know, what, what was going to go down in her episodes and who, who, who the, uh, the cameos were going to be, who the guest stars were going to be. And he's like, all right, well, we already got them picked and there are these three. And she like fully nerded out, mm-hmm. you know, was super pumped. And obviously it was the same for, for Jack Black and Lizzo. And that's why they picked them. So for anyone to, you know, say what you will about Lizzo's acting, seeing her enthusiasm and imagining what yeah. it was like to be on set with her and with Jack Black, just yeah. that squashes everything to me. Mm-hmm. I also was very intrigued by uh, by Katie's thoughts on that episode. Yeah, she was like, you know what I mean? She comes out and goes, "Her episode was a little, uh, was a little lighter, you yeah. know, it was a little <laughs> like." However, she like were, and it did kind of seem like it was like nicely worded. Yeah, you know? she was like, "I'm gonna." But she did bring up a very interesting point that I think when you step back from that episode, when watching it, I mean, collectively, I don't think that was our favorite episode of the season, obviously. And I was like, well, is is there really much going on here at all? Like for the you're kind of like already out of it by the time it gets to this point she made. Mm -hmm. But she said, you know, this was like probably the lightest episode of the season or it was a little lighter subject matter, a little more fun, playful, whatever the wording she used. But that then Bryce was was faced with the challenge of one of the heaviest moments of the season, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bringing Bo-Katan back to the clan to retake her, you know, her seat and and reclaim the fleet. And all. I mean, that was, we went from like, you know, Jack Black, Jack Blacking to <laughs> yeah. like up this full blown duel 
for who is going to lead, you know, that, that clan of Mandalorians. So I, th- I found that really interesting that she like recognized like, yeah, this episode was just for fun until it wasn't. <laughs> right. Not a, uh, not that this matters at all, but the Jack Black uh, Guns for Hire was called that episode is on IMDb by far the lowest rated episode of the entire series. Well, six six point four. Yeah, interesting. By far, um, one thing too that I think going back to what I said earlier about how I feel like everyone was almost, if you look at it a certain way, everyone's almost kind of trying to talk you into here's what we were doing this season. Filoni, towards the end of this episode, said, uh, we need a range of stories and experiences in Star Wars that go from being cute and fun to serious and dark. So yep. I love you put that this, whole segment. Yeah, you put this episode into that. It's like, we're still trying to be cute and fun, too. And then the end of it is like you were saying, Ryan, it's like the end of it was a pretty big moment, you know? I, I love that whole segment from Filoni because he went into something that we've talked about so many times over about Star Wars being for kids and for mm-hmm. the kid inside of you. And he, you know, he's now the maker. I mm-hmm. mean, for all intents and purposes, right? I mean, so hearing it from the maker's mouth saying, everything I do in Star Wars, I'm trying to think of how I would see it as a, as the kid who fell in love with the original movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, all the scumbag haters out there, they just, they just, it's like you just don't take that into account and it's so unfair. Yeah, it's selfish. People, that work so hard on these stories mm-hmm. and make this content for us because he's straight up telling you, like, he's not saying, you know, sometimes I don't get it right, but he knows that. Mm-hmm. He's just saying, every time I make a decision, I think about my inner child and the kid I was that fell in love with Star Wars. He mm-hmm. said that out loud in this yeah. episode. And I was really, really stoked to hear. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Not that I didn't know that already, but just like, I don't think he's ever said it that candidly in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's validating to, you know, because sometimes I, th- you know, I look at fans of anything, any other fandom, any musical artist or anything, and I, you know, especially music, being on this side of it and seeing how passionate fans are, even our own fans, and I'm like, is it because we're good or are they just really locked in, you know? So I wonder, I wondered about myself, like, am I, do I go too far sometimes? Do I give too much credit? Should I be more critical so it's validating to hear from the creator himself and a dude who's, you know, the heir apparent to George Lucas, like you're saying, who started as a fan and is in this position for a reason. It yeah, ju- it just flew Southwest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It felt good. Um, uh, d- dude, going back to Katie Sackhoff too, I love that she, she basically like snuck in a stunt. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Just like, dude, so what's going to happen? About- it's going to be a knee slide? Okay. Yeah. And then she just did it. And how about like in all of the stunt scenes that you were watching um, her in, I was so pumped to see that that little shield was a practical, somewhat practical effect. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously they did a lot to it, you know, frame by frame in post, adding all the line work and all the different stuff to it. And obviously if it gets hit with a blaster, but like how cool for these actors. I mean, I always think about it with the lightsabers now. Yeah. How when they're when they're you know they're basically have the option to rip like a neo profi board lightsaber <laughs> while they're fighting on set you know um, they're probably not they're probably using like the cheapy little stunt ones but still in my head I'm thinking you know I would ask for that but how cool that she actually has like a practical superhero oh yeah you know so cool. thing to like run around with and and interact with it's just awesome you know what it reminded me of was the uh the shields in the lightsaber training on the halcyon yeah like yeah. probably a very Super similar similar thing. 
mm-hmm. you know, just like acrylic that's probably lit from the inside just to give it that little rim of light, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how many times she she ran that thing, you know, like- The slide. Um, but if you watch the one they showed in in the episode, dude, <laughs> I mean, it, it looks like it was rehearsed a thousand yeah. times. Yeah. But in it's slow-mo too. She so like good. flies around one foot, two foot up, raises gun. I mean, it's just like so fluid, so amazing. But it seems like, that was the shot because yeah. she talks about how the stunt coordinator was like, Katie, like screaming <laughs> yeah. at her. So like she couldn't have done it a hundred times, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. It was, it, but I, I definitely noticed her footwork. I was like, yeah. wow, that, that was a top level stunt. She's been paying stunt, attention. Stunt, stuntmanship. <laughs> Dude, you know who, um, talking about the actors having the skills, Ahmed Best. So amazing to see him there on set and, and see how invested he was. And Filoni had some great lines about how important, well, firstly, how important uh, choosing the right character to rescue Grogu would be, you know, from the Jedi Temple because they've had all these flashbacks, there's all this buildup. And then deciding that it should be someone who's sort of already in the family at Lucasfilm and a med best. I mean, he didn't say this directly, but I would imagine he said it in the interview, but they didn't didn't make it in. Like a dude who's been just completely bullied and tormented by terrible fans. Yeah. Got a chance, got a second chance to come back. And even before that, like the amount of support and investment he has in the fan base, you know, just out there representing for Star Wars, I, I would imagine made him kind of a no-brainer. Like once they they had that idea... It yeah. was probably like, yep, it's him. It's got to be mm-hmm. him. Yeah. But um, martial arts training is what they mentioned. That's how I got mm-hmm. to this. Go ahead, yeah. Nick. Yeah. No, I, I, from that whole thing, I, I think that my one thought was, I feel like Favreau was talking about it and they said, we brought in this Jedi, Keller and Beck. And I'm like, from where? You know, like yeah. there's a little bit more that we'll co- we cover on there on the show, but it would have been, I felt like it was a little peculiar that, it wasn't just a little backstory of like we brought in this Jedi from a show we existed already. It was almost like seemed slightly proposed, like they that he didn't exist necessarily before. So right. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was cool. I'm glad uh, I could have used a little bit more about Ahmed Best. Like not maybe not necessarily saying like what you're saying. Like he's been ostracized by the you know for twenty something years, um, but he's cool now. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, I, I, I think I could have used a little bit more, more time talking about him. Yeah, for sure. But it was, it was a, a really cool little, little short moment of Bryce, How- Bryce Dallas Howard having the realization, getting so stoked about how the last time that she had seen him <laughs> yeah. was on set with her dad, with Ron Howard, just mm-hmm. visiting the prequel sets yeah. and she was 16 years old and they, they mm-hmm. had hung out and I thought that was, it was cute. That's <laughs> the word. Cause wasn't, I remember we covered this. And George asked Spielberg to direct Phantom Menace, right? Was Ron Howard in the mix too? He was on that list. I think Yeah. I think, think George so. was just asking everybody like <laughs> yeah. who wants it? And they're like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yours, bud. We're not gonna mess it up. Um what else? We talked about Jack Black. I mean that dude always always turned up to eleven. <laughs> like imagine it, being in the room with that. It's amazing when you see him just in the normal setting, like the dressing room. Yeah. And and I mean, granted, there's a camera on him in that moment. Right. So what is it really like? I don't know. But 
He's not shooting with that camera. It's not go time for the scene. He's just like, he's beyond on all the time. Mm -hmm, Yeah, 11. I mean, this one goes to 11. He's (laughs) just like, it has to be the ultimate hang, dude. Yeah. I I, uh, give anything for just like one night at just let's go get some, let's go get some beverages and yeah. God, he's so fun. I love how he 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 gets into the the Mandalorian theme. He's humming it, whatever, just like he did <laughs> one thing. And he does the whole the whole dance, and then points right at the camera and goes, yeah. "That's a little tidbit for you behind the scenes." <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, just hearing his like his voice, like this such Jack Black, like unmistakable yeah. Jack Black singing the the Mandalorian theme. I'm like, oh, yeah. Upload that onto Spotify. I want to listen to it. <laughs> Dude, and speaking of that, going back to Katie being on set, she was talking about how her it's like her whole job on set with them was just to not break. Yeah. Because yeah. they did so much improv, which yep. as far as I know, isn't really a Star Wars thing. Improv, mm-hmm. period. No way. No way. So the idea of him <laughs> just even in a character that Favreau wrote for him, just going for it, just doing the, you know swallow the gravy or whatever, you know, going <laughs> full Jack Black style. Uh, it sounds like the best time ever. And you could just see how, how genuinely pumped he was. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I mean, you know, that is something about Star Wars too. It's just, you can't, you can't not point it out. When you're someone like Jack Black, you've had a career that is so, I mean, it's beyond a dream come true. You don't, you, you can't dream of a career that big yeah. when you're a kid and you want to be an actor or, or a musician or whatever, you know, and you can still see it on his face. It's as if he has accomplished nothing this big in his entire <laughs> life, you know, and that just speaks volumes to how important this story is mm. when, when people like him get to be a part of it. And, and they've already cut, you know, they've already climbed the mountain. They've, they, they win. Yeah. <laughs> Jack Black won the yeah. game of life, you know, but he, he looks like it's like the first job he's ever got. He's, yeah. He is so pumped to mm-hmm. be there. I love I, it. I felt like I felt genuine joy watching Lizzo meet Grogu too. Oh, yeah. It just made me yeah. think like she met him as if he's a celebrity and it really made me think like how good the puppet must look in real life. It's oh, not yeah. like yeah. necessarily movie magic or CGI where you're just like, oh yeah, this whatever. It's like, no, it probably just looked like Grogu was sitting there and she freaked right. out. <laughs> I mean, we weren't close, close, but even at Celebration and the Mandalorian experience from f- 15 feet or whatever it was, mm-hmm. he was up there being live puppeted. It was like the most intense celebrity sighting that I'd ever <laughs> been a part of in my life. I was like... Yeah. I was, I, I like, I had goosebumps, you know, <laughs> it's a puppet. I loved, uh, speaking of Grogu, I loved the shot in the gallery. Uh, they just snuck it in there. I, I, it, I can't remember if it was connected directly to the time or to the scene um, where they were talking about Moff Gideon, like the rising from the ashes, maybe, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. But they snuck in a little shot of Grogu being puppeted into force pushing the fire mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Like you saw the little thing sticks behind his hands and his eyes closing or whatever. Like it's it was funny because like seeing it on set, even with all of the things attached to him or yeah. whatever, it felt like you were watching one of the actors doing a scene yeah. behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was awesome. Yeah, those those rods on his wrists, none of it 
makes it seem any less real. I don't know mm-hmm. why. It's just those puppeteers are unreal. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I just don't understand how at all, like I understand the concept of green screen and blue screen, which by the way, way more of that this season. Less volume. I know we probably talked about the volume Mm -hmm. not being as noticeable. It's probably because a lot of stuff wasn't just on the volume. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. uh, I don't understand how, picture this, like Force Awakens, you have like two people in like full on green man outfits. Right. Operating BB-8. And I understand Mm -hmm. you just, you take the green out of the shot. How does it work when it's just, when they it's not it, that though? They I do don't it, understand that. They do it frame by frame by hand. <laughs> Literally every frame. Yeah. They have to, they have to wipe it. Oh my God. They still do, they'll do like a motion control thing. So if, mm-hmm. you know, they're walking in the door and the camera's following, it'll be on tracks. It'll be all automated. They'll run it once and then they'll get everyone out of the shot. They'll run it again with nothing but the set there. Mm-hmm. And then they have to go in Photoshop style and rotoscope, which means cut out. And that's, that's how it goes. Like you yeah. said, frame by frame. It's insane. And there, there are more tools now like there. Yeah. Some of it's probably more, more for lack of a better word, AI, you know, they're more, more intuitive of like, oh, mm-hmm. you're doing that on this frame. I'm following yeah. what you're doing for the next frame. You know, like even if something like that is 50% accurate, it makes it easier. You know? Yeah. 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 There's, there's stuff in even like Adobe After Effects where you can just track an object. So, you know, you do that and then you go back and you clean up where it doesn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. There are now some AI tools specifically, like you're saying that even like web-based AI tools where you just import it or you upload it, you bring it down. I'm sure they're not using that stuff because they're not throwing that shit on somebody's server, <laughs> but it's getting to that point where it's going to be easier, which sounds amazing for these VFX artists who are living like sweatshop lives, the yeah. amount of work yeah, that yeah. they have to do for for Marvel and Star Wars. But dude, there there was you were saying it seems like a lot less um, stuff in the volume. Yeah, right. Those sets were big. Even Gorian mm-hmm. Shard's ship, which was used briefly, that was a big ass set with just blue screens on the outside. You know, I figured that whole thing was just a floor, maybe some control panels and volume, but it was. It was a big ass set. Mm-hmm. So that was nice to see. The Mandalorian caves, like that last final battle thing was full volume, but the chase, when they were choreographing like the marine style, like you come up here, take a couple shots, you're doing cover, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's got to be a good like 50 foot hallway, yeah. a couple of them. I don't know if it's, I mean, I would think at this point that show's paying for itself and they can level up, but I wonder how much of it is. I don't know. It'd, it'd be interesting to see the 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 budget, the allocation, and how they distribute. Yeah, yeah. The, the effects budget. But like, I don't know. For a hallway fight, you need a hallway. Dude, I was just gonna say the hallway fight that it blew my mind. How there? I think they were talking about how many people were on set, but the hallway fight that they showed being filmed with so many non-screen actors in not in the shot, but filming it. They had Mandalorians going through the hallway and there was probably five or six people with cameras and mics and all this stuff following the Mandos down the hallway. And I'm like, obviously that's how they filmed it, but seeing it be filmed, I'm like, there's so many moving parts. Like how many times did you have to get that? Or what if you're a a boom guy and you mess up the shot, (laughs) you know? Like, man, the pressure is insane. Yeah, it's like a dance. Yeah. Uh, last thing I'll say on on the effects thing, and then we should probably wrap up because I got to get out of here. Yep. Real explosions on set. <laughs> the uh, mm-hmm. the big showdown on Navarro. 
And then Favreau had the great line. He was watching playback and goes, I'll give, I'll pay you the highest compliment. It looks like CGI. Yes. You know? That was so great. <laughs> but uh, that was not a small explosion and not a small set. And it looked like they only basically, aside from like maybe around the corners, they just had blue screen on top of the buildings for set mm-hmm. extensions upward. Yeah. Yeah. Which is smart. The kind of stuff, you know, we were seeing behind the scenes before Andor came out about how big of sets they were building outside. And part of me was like, eh, why doesn't the Mandalorian get that? Even though <laughs> it looks amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we know now they invested in Andor for a reason because it was, it is what it is. It's incredible. So it's cool to see the Mandalorian getting some of that same treatment. It's nice. Yeah. Good for them. There was one story thing, again, to bring this up last time, I promise, about them kind of explaining maybe some of the writing and and story choices. There was something that is evident when you think about it this way, where it seemed like Bo had lost her faith in being Mandalorian and, and Din really believed in like the hokey religion side of it mm-hmm. and that belief and faith kind of brought Bo back up and especially after seeing the mythosaur so I, I liked kind of pointing kind of pointing that out because yes that's what was happening but you're kind of distracted while it's happening by the action of that kind of arc right. the early arc of the of the the first few episodes so I'm, I'm glad of all the things they pointed out like here's what we were doing I'm glad they brought that up yeah because I, as much as, again, as much as like a cynical person might say, oh, well, now we're going to say that she's the Mandalorian too because they did whatever wrong. It's like, no, that's, <laughs> that's his journey, you know, to yeah. like, because all, all these clues laid that make you either realize or not that he could be the new leader of mm-hmm. Mandalore all leads into someone else taking the mantle and him still being that like roaming cowboy that goes off into the sunset yeah. for exactly. new adventures. And that, that, that was the point I was going to bring up, sort of like wrap up my thoughts on the whole thing was um, I, I really enjoyed, again, just sort of the candid discussion about about how they're still on this, the path. It's funny because they mentioned, you know, we didn't certain things. This isn't what we set out to do. But there are other things that are clearly exactly what they set out to do. And one of them is this is a Western. Right. I mean, and I love the whole bit at the end about how, you get that classic Western trope where the town is seems to be settled and everyone's cheering and having drinks in the bar and you know the 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 bad guys have been thwarted and the bank robbery averted and all <laughs> whatever and like that the hero the gunslinger gets a moment's rest but you you know that there are more adventures down the road yep you know and I I, I like. I love that because I think you're absolutely right that it's important that we see where the story of Mandalore is going because, I mean, I think you got you in saying that you agree with me. That's not necessarily Din Djarin's path. Right. Like we're setting up other stories for Mandalore mm-hmm. with this, you know, he and he and Grogu are going to go off on some other adventures. I mean, yeah. And it will be great when Bo gets what she should get, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. that's definitely amazing. I mean, Rick said, he said it's something like, in many respects, Bo-Katan was the Mandalorian this season. And, yep. mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, we all kind of said that and saw that, but not as a, like a replacement, but it's, this is the focus this season is, is Mandalore and who should rightfully be run, ruling it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great place to wrap up. So let's do that. All right. All right. See you guys. Bye. <laughs> uh, 
If you're watching on YouTube and you haven't hit the subscribe button, please do. If you're listening and you haven't gone to our YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button, please do. Just uh, search Thank the Maker Star Wars Podcast on YouTube. I don't know what, if we actually have our URL yet. I don't, I don't know how that works. I don't know. Just give it a search. It'll come up. Also, follow the link on our socials. You can find all of that in the show notes. It's easy to find. We're, only, we're basically only on one social media platform, and now it's a new thing as well. So check that out. Mosh Heisley also, the thing we should make sure everyone hears right now, we have less than 100 tickets left for Mosh Heisley San Diego, July 21st, 11 days from the time of this recording. Get your tickets. That's very cool. Dude, the pressure is on. Wish I could go. I wish you could go. I wish uh, both of you guys could go. Yeah. Very upset. But it's going to be great. Best party in the galaxy. Emo, punk, Star Wars, good times. I'm going to try not to spill White Claw on my laptop this time. Good plan. No White Claws on the rider. That's, that's the first thing you got to do. That's good plan. the best way to not spill any White Claw. <laughs> Just don't have any. <laughs> All right, dudes. Uh, I love you. Good to hang with you. Love you, love you. Cheers. Uh, Adam, I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Patrons, thanks for hanging. Listeners, thanks for listening. And until next week, may the force be with you. If you enjoy Thank the Maker, you can support us by following and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod where you can get access to our Discord server, exclusive content, exclusive merch, our recording live stream, and more. Our patrons quite literally make Thank the Maker possible. <laughs>